Susanna, and this is AFL Obsessed. I can't believe this is episode 30, guys. Thanks for listening and helping me shape the podcast. I really appreciate all of you, and I can't thank you enough for being there and hanging with me, especially during this crazy time in sport and the world. This weekend, we all got a glimpse into the salaries of the top earners in the AFL. The Herald Sun published a list of the AFL's highest earning stars and ranked the players from 1 to 100. I've seen lists previously that hinted at those who were believed to be quote-unquote on top or when someone had joined the elite earners per se, with most of the info kind of grouping together players' averages in brackets. And typically that would include who cracks a million and how many players are making above 500k, but never with exact details as they are not made public. In one year, I think it was 2016, that revealed the top 10 earners, but I've never seen anything this comprehensive, and it really included the figures impacted by COVID pay cuts too. So I think you could probably guess quite a few of the players. They're all notables and high profile and kind of all the familiar names, but perhaps the two most surprising inclusions were who sat in the number 100 spot, and that was Brody Grundy, who is arguably arguably the best ruckman in the comp right now, and the fact that Jeremy Cameron Jezza is at number one, and that means that he makes more than Buddy, Dusty, and Nat Fife. But anyway, it definitely made for some interesting quarantine reading. <laughs> so let's get to it and dive into the opening overture of my overall thoughts on the week and where NYC is now. So Central Park Zoo and the Bronx Zoo have reopened and they have timed tickets only to limit the crowd size. And we're getting another scorching heat wave here. There's been record-breaking temps in the last week. And a report in the New York Times says that this will likely be the hottest summer on record, which is pretty tough already. So the city has reopened eight pools to kind of counter that with another seven city pools scheduled to reopen on August 1st, right around the corner corner. And now that back-to-school fall is approaching, city officials are working on a plan to reopen 1,606 public schools here for the 1.1 million NYC public school students. And for now, the proposal includes kind of a blended learning program with a hybrid of part-time in-person instruction and supplemented with remote learning. But in order for the schools to reopen, the infection rate of the region has to be 5% or less on a 14-day average, and a school will close if the infection rate is 9% or higher on a 7-day average, so there's no official first day of school that's been determined yet. And Florida now has surpassed New York's COVID count and only trails behind California, but that state nearly doubles Florida's population. So they reached in Florida 436,162 total cases over the weekend versus California's 445,400 total cases to date. And Florida is quickly becoming a global epicenter of the virus. And I know there were some conflicting recommendations in the early weeks here in the city about wearing masks, but everyone has really embraced it wholeheartedly. And I'm actually kind of grateful to be in a place where everyone takes wearing them seriously because I'm seeing so much on social media about people who are actively fighting against wearing them and kind of being very public and vocal about why they choose not to. 
And now on to act one with my game highlights for round eight. There were so many close games this weekend. In the Suns versus Bulldogs game, my fave moment was Tuke Miller's rodeo tackle on Bont in the final quarter when the game was at like a two-point difference. So basically, Miller tackled Bontempelli over his shoulders and went over him in like a front handspring move into like a standing somersault and they kind of tumbled together. And it's totally safe. They're both totally okay, but it was just a really cool move that you don't ever see in other sports. And in the Giants versus Tigers game, there were two standouts for me. One, they opened the game with words for Tucky because Shane Tuck, who played 173 games for Richmond, did pass away. And in the first quarter, the other standout for me was Aiden Kaur, who's a Giants defender. He got the ball right at the goal line and he tried to kind of zigzag his way through two opposition players. And he seemed kind of confused. There was so much pressure on the goal line. And ultimately, everyone thinks he should have just run it over the goal line. But he got tackled with holding the ball on the goal line, which is basically giving your opposition like a free goal. In the Kangaroos versus Blues game, there were two standout moments from this game for me. So Zerha was getting tackled when he handballed to Pittard, and Pittard kicked towards the goal, and there was kind of like this wayward bounce. And it's always that moment in footy when you just wonder which way it's going to go, and it never goes the way you expect. So it kind of bounced toward two players that were near the goal line, and then it errantly went over their heads and ultimately made a goal. So that was like a really cool moment. And the other standout moment for me was when Pollock marked the ball and then the siren sounded for the end of the third quarter. So North had an opportunity to kick for a goal. And at the same exact moment, Pittard came, who was like earlier the goal saver, he came and pushed a player. So the ump reversed the call for his kick. And so that's just one of those things where you wonder if it will ultimately cost you at the end of the game. In the Swans versus Hawks game, my fave moment was when Elijah Taylor got his first goal in his second game. It was in the pocket, totally under pressure, and he kind of just casually grabbed the ball and snapped it over his left shoulder. And it was really great coming from someone who's wearing that famous currency number 37, which is Adam Goods's number. So that was just a really great moment all around. In the Power versus Saints game, my fave moment was in the last quarter. So Tim Membry of St. Kilda did a split kick for a goal, and Tom Jonas was right next to him trying to touch the ball before it went over so it would become a behind, but he kind of fisted it onto Membry's boot, but it looked like a behind in real time, and it was called that, and I think even Membry thought that, but it was eventually overturned after doing a review, which is surprising because typically you can't see with the grainy footage, as I've mentioned before, but it turned out to be a goal and one of the coolest kicks if you haven't seen it. And in the Crows versus Bombers game, there were two favorite moments for me. One, you guys know what I'm going to say, McKenna's Gaelic solo, which is such a fun move and one of my favorite things to see in footy. And it's actually part of Gaelic football's game where the player kicks the ball back up to themselves while running with the ball. And in Aussie rules, you have to bounce or kick the ball every 15 meters during play. So it's really cool when they adopt that and it's a really cool move on the run. 
because there's no need to pass it to another player and it looks to your opposition like you're about to kick it to someone else so they kind of prepare for that <laughs> and McKenna keeps running with the ball so it's really cool because it kind of throws you off but I'm really curious about how champion data considers that like whether or not it's considered a kick or a bounce <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that truck just go by but as I said the city is kind of coming back to life so there really isn't like a good time to record without any noise but my second favorite moment of the game was Ned Kale's dance after his first goal. He got two in his second game, but he kind of did this cute little dance move. So that was a really fun highlight. But what were your biggest surprises, upsets, or moments from this round? There were so many nail biters, and I know I almost had a cardiac event watching my own game, but my email is aflfootyobsessed at gmail and aflobsessed on Twitter if you want to just chat. Okay, so it's intermission, so quickly during this time, let's just cut away to other sports. Last weekend was also opening weekend for Major League Baseball's regular season. I did watch a couple of the games. And as for the NBA, 22 out of the 30 teams have arrived at the bubble, and they've started their scrimmages, which is like practice matches. They all have to play three before the season officially opens in just a couple of days on July 30th. So LeBron has referred to his new surroundings as a youth basketball tournament for grown men who happen to be some of the most recognizable sports stars on the planet. And I really love that they have the words Black Lives Matter directly on the court. It really jumps out at you and it's such a resonant incorporation that I think is really important right now. And I have to admit, baseball is okay in terms of viewing without fans, but it's going to be a bit bizarre to me for basketball specifically without any fans. You know, no matter how tight you make those camera shots and angles. But that said, they do have large screen projections that are surrounding the court and extending beyond the hoops. So it'll kind of give the players a real fan feel right next to them because they're going to play fan reactions all throughout the games. But hopefully that'll help because I think it's just going to be a really interesting viewing. <laughs> and now we're on to Act 2, where this week we'll dive into an element of footy history. And I know we've talked about the International Rules series in We Are Geelong, which I think is like episode number three. But I want to talk about the Irish experiment this week, which refers to the interest in bringing Irish Gaelic footballers to Australia to play in the AFL professionally because of some of the similarities between the sports. So it started in the mid-1980s as an informal project of the Melbourne Football Club. And even though there was some initial success, the project actually dropped off until the 2000s, where there was kind of a revival and a renewed interest due to globalization in sport. And over the years, it's attracted quite a bit of media and public interest in both Ireland and Australia. And now it's just accepted as an ongoing thing because there's so many Irish players now in the AFL. But some of the first notable players from the experiment are kind of what I wanted to focus on. Number one, Sean White, who was Melbourne's first Irish recruit in 1982 and he debuted in 85 and played 150 games for the club. 
And number two, Jim Steins, who was recruited at 18 in 1984, but he debuted in 87, and he went on to play 264 games for Melbourne and became one of the game's most prominent figures because he broke the record for most consecutive games played. I believe it was 244. And ultimately, he won the AFL's highest individual honor, the Brownlow Medal, in 1991. And he became the first and only non-Australian to win that honor. I mean, can you even imagine adopting a sport as an adult and playing it in another country and then winning the sports basically like MVP for that season? It's such a major achievement in sport, but in life... And Jim actually still holds the record for most consecutive games played, which means he must have just played like a whole stack of games hurt and just beast-moded it out somehow. And he's since been inducted into the Australian Football Hall of Fame. And by all accounts, he's just a really, really, really good person, or he was, because he became a philanthropist and he did a bunch of charity work and he was a writer following his footy career. But sadly, he passed away in 2012 at only 45 following a battle with cancer. And the third player that I wanted to talk about is Ty Canelli who was picked in the rookie draft of 1999 and he debuted in 2001 for Sydney and he became the first Irish player to win an AFL Premiership medal, which is also a pretty big achievement. And it was his celebrated career that sparked renewed interest in the experiment. And he is the first player to have won both the All-Ireland Senior Football Final, which is his country's highest achievement in the sport, and the AFL Grand Final for Australia. And now for the curtain call and the spotlight segment, I just wanted to throw some beams on Eleni Glovsis, who is notable for being the first female field ump to officiate. She umpired a VFL game in a match sanctioned by the AFL in 2016, and she became the first woman to be appointed field umpire for an AFL Premiership season match in 2017, where she was the central umpire, and she was elevated to AFL field umpire's senior list that same year. But a little bit about Eleni, she always played sports in school growing up, and that included cricket, tennis, soccer, and volleyball, but football was always number one to her because she admired Gavin Wanganeen and Nick Revolt, and then she became the first female to umpire in a Sanfil League match. Outside of umpiring, she is a health and phys ed and science teacher, and a really fun detail I thought was that her partner Dylan is an AFL boundary umpire, and they met when they were both umpiring in the Sandful. And Dylan moved to Melbourne to pursue umpiring, and then Eleni followed with her own career. And in July 2019, I don't know if you guys saw this or remember this, but Dylan actually proposed to Eleni at the MCG after their first game umpiring together. It was really cute after the final siren, they went back out onto the field and then he ended up proposing in front of still a lot of fans who were kind of straggling around and their families. So for writing her own chapter in footy history, we say encore, Eleni. So I started umpiring in year nine back in school and there was just a, a notice in the daily bulletin. Um, it was just for a basic umpire's course and I thought I love footy, I love keeping fit, I'll give it a go. Eleni was soon umpiring her first game of football, a Northeastern Metro League under eights match in 2006. 11 years later, she became the first woman field umpire in AFL history. You know, a, a dream come true. I never would have 
really ever thought that would be possible and to now be umpiring in the AFL is just something I can't be more thankful for. There are now hundreds more women looking to follow in Eleni's footsteps, with the number of female umpires at grassroots level growing by 18% in the past year. Like it or not, Eleni's become a role model. Well, you know, the first of something in, in anything, there's some people who are going to look up to you and you know, all I can do is hopefully encourage more to be part of it. You know, girls, boys, different background cultures because it's just such a great way to be involved in the game. Eleni played football throughout primary school and high school and says she'd have kept playing if today's opportunities existed back then. She says it's no coincidence that the increase in women's umpires has coincided with the explosion in popularity of women's football. It doesn't mean that there's going to be less female umpires now, it probably means more because more females are interested in sport, or interested in football, play football, don't want to play football, want to be involved in the game and it just leads to more females participating in general which is excellent. And her advice to any girls or boys thinking of an umpiring career? I think the really great thing about umpiring is you develop so many different skills, so leadership, communication, teamwork, you know, an understanding of the game from a different perspective and it's a really great way to be involved no matter whether you do play as well or you don't play as well or you want to earn a little bit of pocket money or get fit. It's just a fantastic way to be in the game, so just to give it a go. So now it's the after show where I feel like dedicating main episodes to listeners and last week's was to Luke Ryan. So shout out to listener Bob Kanaki from Chicago for this episode. I hope I pronounced your last name right, Bob. And Bob's a Bulldog supporter. But that's it for me. Thanks for hanging around for the show. I'd love if you'd leave a review and share AFL Obsessed with someone you think might like it too. And if you have any pure class, hard pass, or just trash moments from the week, I'm happy to include them in the midweek wrap up. <laughs> but that's it. So stay safe and healthy. Check on your friends and neighbors. We'll get through this like footy. I'm virtually hugging you and we'll talk footy soon.